You're listening to From Heaven and Hope, a weekly podcast where Nicole Frazier brings you conversations from those who have been affected by grief. Whether a parent, child, friend, counselor, pastor, or philanthropist, everyone moves through and conquers grief in their own way. We know that what you're facing is a long road, but no matter how dark that road is, there will always be light. There will always be purpose. From where they are in heaven to the hope you need to move forward, we want to help you on that journey. Here is today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to season two of From Heaven and Hope. We are starting out with a bang, so to speak, with Janice Alves, who's going to share the story of her daughter, Scarlett, her firstborn who was lost in a terrible way, but has practiced such resilience and grace. Listen to how she tells this story. Hi, Janice, how are you? Hi, Nicole, I'm great, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So we were connected by Christina, who was on the podcast a little while ago. So why don't you share a little bit about yourself, your story, and why you're here on the podcast today? Sure, I actually have four kids, and one of my children is our angel baby, that's what we call her, and her name is Scarlett. I had Scarlett pretty much like a year and a half after my husband and I got married, uh, probably maybe even a year. And I work in commercial real estate in the marketing and customer service field there. And I didn't even know that I was pregnant until three months in. I thought I was having a thyroid issue or perhaps, I don't know, I thought like, I just couldn't take the CrossFit class that I was doing, but lo and behold, I was pregnant and we were so happy with the news. We weren't and we were trying, so it wasn't, it was something that we were definitely blessed to hear. So yeah, so three months into my pregnancy, I didn't know. So thankfully, yeah, the ultrasounds and whatnot and the normal testing that we do, um, everything looks good with fetus, baby was growing well. And yeah, I had a really uneventful, boring pregnancy uh, to doctors and it was my first pregnancy. So I was a little bit scared of the unknown, more so for the labor than anything else. Right. So, but, but yeah, so we, we had our Scarlet. She just recently had a birthday on September 17th. So I had her in the morning of September 17th, but unfortunately due to some insufficient judgment calls during the labor and no medical intervention. Scarlett suffered. She suffered a large brain malfunction. And so she had basically no brain function. She could only basically yawn and uh, stretch her limbs, but she couldn't suckle or do anything a normal newborn baby would be doing in their first few hours of life. So it was a very, very, very difficult moment. I mean, you're giving life and then all of a sudden there's something wrong and you've been led to know that everything's okay. And then it wasn't. So it was a huge shock for us. We were in one hospital and then being transferred to another. We didn't really know the full extent of the issue until we got tests and labs that came in to see exactly what went on. And unfortunately, because 
um, medical intervention, like a C-section, didn't happen at the right time, this was my fate and Scarlett's fate as well. So she spent some time in the NICU in, in the hospital. And then at that point, when the doctors had let us know, unfortunately, medically, there isn't anything we can do except keep her comfortable and manage any pain. They had offered to let us bring Scarlett home and I would essentially be her palliative care provider. And so I, I was a little bit hesitant on doing that because it's such a big ask. I've never done palliative care. I, I knew what palliative care was, but I never looked into it really as for a baby. That's not something that you think of. So I thought about it and I said, well, if I leave her here and I step out, or if I leave for a few hours and she passes on, I would be completely heartbroken. So I decided, you know what, let's take her home. If, if I truly can't do this, then we'll bring her back to the hospital and I'll stay with her in the hospital. Another big thing for me was I wanted to give life to the time that remained, if that makes sense. I wanted to give her some kind of normalcy to what she had left and to have some visitors see her that can't normally come to that section of the hospital in the NICU. They don't allow a vast amount of visitors and see her bedroom and feel the fresh air and see a sunset and a sunrise. And I know that not having the appropriate brain function she had, she obviously wasn't able to process and and a newborn can't necessarily process all that, but it's something that I wanted to do for her. So we took her home and it was September 25th that we took her home. And I did pretty much everything that I did with her as I would have done with her if she, if, you know, if she wasn't going to be passing on. And so we, took her to the zoo. We had a family photo shoot with her. We had family over. We celebrated Thanksgiving. We did a lot of things. And unfortunately, as the days went on, she became more fragile and she became a little bit more, less, less full than what she, than what she was as a newborn. Because another really hard factor that we had to consider here is that I could not, I could not nurse her or I could not provide her with any sort of nutrition because it would prolong the process. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to, unfortunately, let her kind of wither away bit by bit. And uh, she was a beautiful seven pounds, 12 ounces, baby, full cheeks. And then she was this like little itty bitty thing after still so beautiful. She looked like a little doll. But, but yeah, that was, that was very, very hard for me because sorry, sometimes I choke up on it. It's okay. It's very normal on this, on this podcast. On, so don't worry. Um, on talking about that part, because it was to me in my mind, I'm like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Is this, is this right? But like, at this point we were at a very credible children's hospital. This was the recommendation. There wasn't anything else 
that we could potentially do. They did provide us with medication for her if she was in any kind of pain or any kind of discomfort. So I was medicating her as as best as I can. And they would provide us with cues where you can actually see that she is feeling discomfort for a baby that age because she barely cried, but she could grunt or flare her nose. And that's how I would know to um, potentially top up or administer something for her. So the day that she passed away was October 16th. So she almost lived for a month. And that day, it was a little bit different. She wasn't as, as alert as she normally is. And I had a feeling, I had a feeling it was, it was the time. So I had this, like, I, you know, I had this little routine with her in the morning and I would rock her and hold her and do skin on skin with her. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, Scarlett, like, I think that I'm so sorry. I didn't think I would be so emotional. I've talked to without being this okay it's okay it's totally um I told her I said Scarlett you know it's you've given me this time with you and I'm so blessed to have had that time with her because there's a lot of parents who aren't even able to have any kind of time like that but I told her you know I think it's time for you to go because things aren't looking as good for you and you're in a lot of pain and I don't want you to stay here because of me. And so the day went on and at around 6.30 or so, we were having dinner and I noticed that her breathing is changing and it was, she was dramatically trying to breathe. She was trying to catch her breath. And at that point, I knew that this was the end. So we had a lot of paperwork sent to us by the hospital. Uh, We were donating her organs and we needed a doctor to come to determine the time of death as well. And then we needed the organ donation company to come and pick her body up to start the process for the organ transplant. Oh, I stopped eating dinner. I took her and I held her and I wanted to be alone with her. And I sat her down and I held her and I sang her some songs. And I just felt this just huge breath, like just, I could feel like my hair like blowing away and it was her last. Sorry. It's okay. I can cut this part out. (laughs) Okay. Take your time. Sorry so many times. I know. I know. I'm look. I think it's like, she just had a birthday and I'm just, I'm sorry. Okay. It's okay. Take your time. I'm cheering up to you. And I listen to stories like this all the time. So it's oh, and okay. been, like, and I've been there, like not in the exact same yeah. way, but I know what that feels like. So fair enough. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So, so yeah, she took her last sweet, precious breath on me and I had basically froze for a moment thinking, oh my goodness, like what, what do I do? Like I knew what I was supposed to do, but my mind was a complete scatter. Like I was just, I, I don't, I don't know what I should do right now. And I basically called for my husband and he came in and I remember saying, she's dead. She's dead. And he like rushed in and we just both stood there holding her and 
my husband at that moment took the reins and he called everyone that needed to be called. He called the doctor to come. The doctor came, announced the time of death, and then called for the organ donation as well. And because we, so we lived in the GTA, but a little bit um, more west in the GTA, it took a little bit of time for them to come because they were coming from Toronto. Um, my parents were there with us at the time and they were able to say goodbye. My brother, who is her godfather, came. He was able to say goodbye to her as well. And it was quite strange because like, like I mean, I've been to wakes before and I've seen dead bodies in that manner, but I've obviously never seen a body of a child, let alone a baby. And she was in my arms and I, I know I kept holding her as if nothing happened. And I just kept holding her. I mean, things were changing, you know, for her, but I, I just, I was so shocked that I just continued holding her, not even processing. I mean, I was processing that she had passed on, but not necessarily being bothered that Mm -hmm. I was her and she was packed yeah so they came and picked her up and uh, we decided that we wanted to donate her organs because we wanted to give another family or families a chance yeah so that they don't have to go through something like this so that they're not a part of this unfortunate club of parents that have lost a child so we're able to use her heart and her heart valve so I'm very ecstatic to know that she is carrying on into another child's life and making that family not have to go through something like this. So, you know, in a nutshell, that is a very short version of her life because I think even though it was almost a month, she had such a huge impact and she has changed me and my husband in so many ways. And It's something that I'll never forget and I'll never regret my decision to bring her home. I think ultimately it's up to you as a parent. I don't think there's any right or wrong decision because the headspace to actually think about something like that is unimaginable. So if keeping them at hospital is something that you need to do or taking them home, that's definitely a personal decision. And as long as you have the right third-party care to help you through it, then, you know, I, I say to definitely go for the decision that you want to go for personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's true. You just, there's no, you're just surviving. So whatever you can do to survive is, is what you need to do. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, did they give you any indication of how long it might be? Cause a month is a, seems longer to me than, but I don't yeah, know. So uh, they said anywhere from a week to two weeks to three weeks, it, it really depended. So, so in order for, they did suggest for me to keep her mouth hydrated. So I was hydrating her with whatever breast milk I could pump at the time but it was the smallest amount. So that maybe also could have like elongated the situation, but she wasn't being fed nearly enough what she would need to be fed as a newborn. So that's complicated. That's very complicated. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about your grief then like kind of falling and even during, because like knowing it was kind of inevitable, Mm -hmm. how how did you manage together with your husband? Like, do you feel like you did that differently? Like you managed, you you mentioned that 
you know, in the moment he kind of snapped into action and you kind of were the kind of stoic one. How did that look when you were going through the process? And then also after she passed away, what did, what did that look like? Sure. So going through the process, everyone was like, I mean, you're incredibly strong. Like I kept that brave face. I was, I just, I didn't want to waste time with her. Like I wanted to do what I could for my husband. That looked a little bit different. He obviously, especially during the hospital, he would receive the reports and the news of her prognosis. He was emotional and he was trying to process this. And he had, he did have a major breakdown in the hospital as well, but he returned while Scarlett was at home with me. He did return to work. He, that's how he processed it. He needed to just separate for a bit, go to work, do what he knows best and come home. He just wants to continue providing for the family and, and that's what he wanted to do. And whether or not it was the approach that I wouldn't have taken because I wouldn't have been able to do my work at that point, um, that's something that he was able to do. So I, I support him on that. You know, when he came home, he was with us all the time. He was holding her, but I think he needed, he needed to separate himself. And then after I was more vocal about my emotions and my grief and he was not as vocal, but there were times where he needed days off from work and I stayed with him and we just grieved together. You know, we'd have conversations. He was always there for me. He was always there for me when I was an emotional wreck and we survived it as best as we could together in different ways. I did some therapy sessions as well. You know, I tried to do as many things as possible, but it was, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And so you went on to have three other healthy kids that are, that are here with you, right? So how do you manage kind of anxiety and fear with them and their life? Like, do you have, does that, is that a factor for you? Like, I know that like, obviously Scarlett, you knew right away Mm -hmm. and, but I would imagine, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like you just, yeah, no, I mean, it, it doesn't like us. I, I would say, um, I would say the birth for each one was hard because, and originally with Scarlett, because it was such a normal uneventful pregnancy, I even had considered having her at home. Yeah. You know, like woman having given birth to children for thousands of years, not in a hospital at home. And, yeah. you know, maybe I, I might try it. And then I thought, no, you know what, let's, let's go to the hospital. Let's just make sure we're in good hands. And unfortunately, you know, we were not at that specific, you know, place. And so I felt robbed. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like my trust in the healthcare system was really low because what should have been a very routine situation didn't end up that way. So I decided to chat with my family doctor and I said, I want you to put me as a high risk pregnancy. I want a doctor to treat me like I am a high risk pregnant woman, even though this pregnancy, I was not mm-hmm. happened was not anything that I could control. It was not anything that was caused during the gestation of the fetus. It was, it was not anything at that point. So we decided to go to a very well-known and amazing high-risk pregnancy program in Toronto. And 
So I lived in Milton and I would trek to Toronto for every OB appointment and I didn't care. And I've done it for all of my babies since. And I would never give birth anywhere else because I've now known these OBs and these nurse practitioners, practitioners, sorry, and the nurses there in the team. And they treated me exactly the way I felt comfortable. And I got my confidence back, especially uh, with being in the hospital and having someone handle such a delicate situation, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So for subsequent pregnancies, that's how I dealt with them. I needed, I needed those extra ultrasounds because I needed to know I, I, I needed that extra attention. I needed the real time results. I needed all of that. And every time they're like, no, you're good. You are our most boring patient. Like <laughs> it's fine. And Autumn came out one push, Speedy Gonzalez, ready to show the world <laughs> who she is. And it, I had a doula and that was an amazing experience to have a doula with you. I mean, I have my husband there too, but that having a doula is a life-changing experience because she she was literally massaging my back for two hours. It was amazing. Um, And Autumn's birth was just, I was at that point where I knew I was about to push her out. I literally pushed the biggest push I could ever do and literally pushed her out in that one push because I needed her out because I needed to see that she was okay. And that she was okay. Like all animal instincts, like all bars down, she's coming out right now. And so she came out and she was beautiful and fantastic and crying and just ready for some milk right away. It was, it was a great experience. And I had, you know, my, my pregnancies after with Abigail she was great as well. With my last pregnancy, uh, we had a boy finally after three girls and I've been so blessed to be a girl mom and I love it. I love all things girly. So I was very nervous to know that I was having a boy, but I'm absolutely in love with him. (laughs) He's fantastic. But his labor was a little bit different. I had to undergo an emergency C-section with him and I was terrified. It was COVID. My husband was home with the girls. I said, I'm fine. I'm going to go to the hospital. I drove myself to the hospital. I was crampy, but it wasn't anything bad. I was there. I was, I was literally taking control and it's seven centimeters on the doctor was like, unfortunately, like we need, we need to go for an emergency C-section. And I'm going to default more into this because it opened up some old wounds and I was just going to ask if that make like, was that all of a sudden like a trigger? It was a huge trigger for me. Um, his heart rate started to decrease and it was the same thing. Like Scarlett heart rate was going down. It was not normalizing. He tried different positions. He tried to read the heart rate in different ways. And he said, we got to get him out. And I just, at that point melted, I was I was like, I couldn't even process it. I didn't have enough time. I remember calling my husband. I said, I got to go in. I got to go in for an emergency C-section. I think he had to call whoever was up to come to our house right when it was like that strict lockdown. (laughs) And the kids sleeping. It was, I think it was like around maybe 2.45 in the morning when I called him. 
And thankfully his mom, obviously at that point, she, she came and she did, she took care of the girls. So yeah, so we went into the C-section. I didn't have an epidural. I was fighting through contractions at seven centimeters and they had to put that spinal block in me and I was not too happy and I was bawling and I was coughing and I had like a good, it was not a good picture. And there was uh, another doctor who came in and he was just holding my hands and wiping my tears and <laughs> was like I was a baby and I was like I'm so sorry I just kept saying I'm so sorry I don't know why <laughs> and they finally got the spinal block and I remember hearing the doctor tell the anesthesiologist you have this amount of time to get it in or we're putting her under the baby needs to come out and I I looked at the doctor and I said this will need to be the fastest baby that you remove like out of a person, this has to be the fastest child. I'm like, you need to do this right now. And so the spinal block happened. It was, I didn't realize how quickly you don't feel your body after that. Yeah. Um, I laid down and he went in and there wasn't enough time for them to even put, I guess the curtain for you not to see. And I saw everything and baby came out. And at that point, I saw him come out, but then I didn't hear him cry. But then there was also a lot of people in the room. And I think his cries were very, like, very small. So I didn't hear it. And so I started to panic. And then major complications started happening for me that I didn't foresee and the doctors didn't foresee happening. And my husband came into the room. He finally arrived to the hospital. And things were going a little bit south for me. But then the doctors were able to manage everything and everything was fine. And then I didn't see baby. I didn't know where baby went. So he went to find where baby was and he saw him. He was just with the respiratory therapist, making sure that everything's okay. And thank goodness everything was okay because in my mind the whole time, I'm like, I'm going to lose this boy. Yeah. You had created a whole other scenario in your head. I, I, and I was like, this is, like I was trying to protect myself, my brain, my mentality, everything. I said, you're Janice, you're going to lose this boy. We've done this. This is going to be extremely difficult because you now have two living children. So your grieving process is going to have to be different than what it was. Mm-hmm. I was trying to accept it and accept it. And then Victor comes in, my husband, Victor, and he said, no, he's, he's fine. He's, he looks beautiful. Like he's, yeah. he's beautiful baby boy. And I, I just, I was like, I was in shock. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But that definitely caused a little bit of, you know, postpartum depression after. So that pregnancy was a little bit difficult and likely this pregnancy will be my last. My, I think this is my body's way of saying you, you have a beautiful family. I don't think, I don't think we can uh, expel more children. (laughs) So um, I think, I think this was, you know, Mm-hmm. stop and I'm so incredibly happy that he's here and he's a spunky little boy and he's ready for action every day and I'm so grateful to have all my children because I've had such a life experience with every single one of them so there's blessings in disguise but it, it's it's definitely hard it's just and so you mentioned uh, like that the C-section was a bit of a trigger. Do you have any other, like, did you have any other triggers that happened kind of throughout your grieving process and 
how did like how do you generally manage those if they if they did show up and what did they look like uh so I think I had more triggers earlier on than I do now c-section was a huge trigger because I mean it was brought you back their fate you know what I mean it brought me back to square one and I was back at that moment but I I I knew in that moment that there was something wrong initially with Scarlett I had no idea I no one said anything that was wrong so I thought everything was fine in terms of other triggers I would say earlier on it was very hard for me to do a lot of things like even a simple task of going to go buy something even if I needed to go to Walmart where a lot of women go with their babies right. to get like certain things I couldn't do that and at the time Target was around I couldn't I couldn't do that yeah. Oh, Target. Miss it. Sorry. Yeah. Off topic, but it's true. I, I hate that it's gone now. I know. And so, I mean, I could, it was very difficult for me to see moms with their babies and as happy as I was for them, mm-hmm. it made me very sad. And I just, I, I just tried to stay home and avoid it because I just didn't want to, I didn't want that headspace. I didn't, I didn't, want to have to feel that way every time I looked at a mom and a baby so yeah yeah it was just that because I had so much high expectations like when I had Scarlett like I had high expectations for Christmas like actually Christmas is a big trigger for me because I in my head visualized perfect first babies Christmas like I bought little first baby Christmas ornaments when they started coming out like in the fall I was one of those crazy pre-Christmas shoppers and so I would say right now Christmas is still a trigger because it's still that like everyone's under you know time having a beautiful Christmas dinner opening their presents under the tree but someone is still missing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely hard for me yeah did you ever have trouble with pregnancy announcements like for a time there because I know that seems to be so I just did the traditional three months um, after three months of knowing. Oh, are you asking my pregnancy? Now? Yeah. No, no. Like if someone was like sharing with you their pregnancy. Oh, okay. So yes and no. I mean, I think when I had returned back to work after four months, people were a little bit like walking on eggshells. Like, oh, should I tell her? Like I had a coworker who I knew she was pregnant because I could tell the differences I knew and I knew she was having a hard time telling me and I told her you know like it's fine like I'm I'm super happy for you it wasn't my time to be pregnant like I wasn't ready so I, I mean I wasn't going to be you know resentful or anything towards anyone to share such beautiful happy news so yeah that didn't necessarily affect me but like I know that like there was some baby showers that I didn't go to mm-hmm a little bit tricky because it was a lot of family and I didn't want, I didn't want to take away from the baby shower too. I didn't want people to start coming up to me. Right. It's their moment. Someone else's happy moment. So I, I decided not to go to baby showers when it was so close to Scarlett's passing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then you, you mentioned you went to therapy. Was there any other, did you do anything else? Did you, were you reading anything? Did you, did you have to take anything like antidepressants or holistic measures that you did to sort of support so, yourself and your body through that? I did go, yeah, I did go to therapy. It took me a while to find a therapist because I feel like child loss is such a unique situation. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of grief because it's not, losing a child is not a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
lose our parents. It's unfortunate and it's heartbreaking. We lose our grandparents, but that's the way of life. You know what I mean? You grow up, you get older and uh, it's your time. It's your time, but losing a child, it's not not supposed to go first. You're not supposed to go first. So trying to find someone that would specialize in child loss was a little bit difficult, but I found someone and he was great. And I saw him for a while and I also went did you go by yourself or did you go together with your husband? No, you went together. Yeah, I did. I, we also, with my husband though, we did go to a program called the Pale Network mm-hmm. and uh, they had, this obviously was a while ago, so it wasn't COVID um, the restrictions. Uh, so they had sessions for parents or, you know, like if you wanted to go on your own and whatnot, and we would go to those meetings and I met a fantastic group of women there who I still am in contact with today. And, you know, we unfortunately share a similar situation, mm-hmm. um, different stories, but same fate. And uh, we would go every week and some of us, well, actually all of us stopped going because we all got pregnant again and we just didn't feel it to be appropriate going there when new parents were coming So then we kind of started kind of chatting to ourselves and being there for ourselves, because although I think no matter what, pregnant or not, you need support, you should go and get that support that you need. I think it was hard for us because we all got pregnant around the same time. And then if we all showed up, we thought it was going to be a little bit tricky for the new parents to see that. Yeah, so I formed a, an amazing relationship with those moms, and I'm so thankful to have them in our lives today. I mean, a lot of us have moved far from each other, but we all recognize birthdays and anniversaries, and we're always there for each other. And, you know, we'll send that message. And it's great because there's nothing like someone saying your child's name and remembering your child's birthday or um, passing. It's it's something that I fear that people will forget. So it's something that I hope that I could keep her memory um, on. Yeah. That's a, that's a very common thing. (laughs) I I do hope that anybody that's listening that is trying to support somebody like does hear that kind of repeatedly, because it is really important that you say their name and that you don't be. Yeah. Like bringing it up, isn't going to make you remember them. Like you, of course you remember them. You want to hear their name. You want to hear it every day. Like, I mean, it's, you know, I just celebrated her birthday on the 17th and I just, sometimes I, you know, I look at my phone and I wish I had like messages saying happy birthday, Scarlett and whatnot. But like, it's like, obviously I, I would get those messages after I post something and I don't expect everyone to remember, you know, um, but obviously my close family and whatnot did send me something like in, in way of message, which was nice. Just saying, all I want to hear is a happy birthday to Scarlett. I don't need any, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I interviewed um, Krista Kutcher. She was on a couple weeks ago and she, um, one of the things that she does as a, as a friend is when that happens is put those anniversaries in her Google calendar. So there's an automatic alert so that she knows the next year for years to come, just happy birthday to, yeah. Yeah. So, so again, so that's something, so that kind of leads me into, so if someone else was in this situation and you were going to support them, obviously you would say their name and message on their birthday and stuff. Is there anything else that you found helpful that people did for you or, or that they, or that they shouldn't do that you would recommend people don't do? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I, I would say this is a tricky topic because I think 
I know that everyone has has their way of trying to show you support and love. And sometimes what is, you know, in all goodwill for them may not look that way for you because of the situation. I would say in terms of being there for someone, I would, as mentioned, say their child's name and help them to know that, you know, your child existed no matter for how long your child was here whether and whether you know you've miscarried you've had a stillbirth or um, your child died after after birth due to complications or in any way in any way whatsoever how your child has passed or how long even if it was if they were 20 years old your child existed and i remember them and i will be there for you through those anniversaries and through those hard times as much as i can and even just saying you know like if you ever needed to chat I'm here, please send me a message. And I know a lot of people do do that. And a lot of parents may or may not send them that message. But knowing that that is open and that's there is nice to have. Um, I remember early on when Scarlett had passed away, I had my neighbor, um, she paid for our photo shoot. She was like, you know, I'm, I'm gifting this to you. I want you to have these memories. And that was an amazing, like, if that's something that you were able to have, that's an amazing thing to have, because that could even be set up in hospital as well. I had cooked meals left on my porch. I had people offering to pay for our bills and pay for one. And I said, no, (laughs) you know, we were okay. But you know, people were being so generous and, and whatnot. And so just, I would say just more so than anything else, just make sure that you let those parents know that you remember and that you'll always remember their baby. Mm -hmm. And I'm not expecting people to call me every day and, you know, and chat to me about Scarlett, but you know, every once in a while and anniversaries, that's great. You know what I mean? I I think that truly helps someone um, know that their babies are being thought of and it's not just themselves thinking about their baby, their own babies. So that's a great thing to have. I think things not to do is for me, I don't love certain sayings like, oh, she's in a better place. Well, I mean, it's okay. Or, <laughs> I've said this before, but. Um... And whatnot. And, you know, okay. But that's tricky for me, you know, but <laughs> so. Those... No, I, I, uh, I went to, um, I've said this before on the podcast, but I went to a seminar one time, um, a Greek seminar. And the guy said, I want to write a book called true, but not helpful. And it was about those sayings. He's like, that's what it's like. It's like true not helpful. No, not <laughs> helpful. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've had, I've had some very offside occurrences, you know, uh, by people not knowing. And like, even at work too, this person does not work with me any, anymore, you know, saying, you know, like, when are you going to get over it? Just like, I, I've had that. I've yeah. Had that. And I'm just like, well, I never actually, but thanks. It's not something I get over, you know? just it's very different circumstance I've had strange things like that being thrown at me and I'm thinking you know I don't know like they just may don't they don't know how to approach the subject maybe they're having a bad day I don't know it's not necessarily anything that they threw that at me but it Mm -hmm. happened was I mad at the time sure (laughs) but yeah yeah I think it's I think it's all it's it's really important that if you no matter what the time whether it's been two days two years two weeks like whatever like however long it's been that, that experience is going to be with you for life. And you never know when it's going to kind of come back and hit you hard. 
Exactly. You're just grieving like it and it doesn't end. Right. It just, just kind of like ebbs and flows and it gets lighter, but it's still there. It's always there. And so if you haven't experienced it, you, you don't have any authority to tell people what they should be feeling. Right. Even if, even me to you, I have had a similar, you know, not, not the same, but similar experience, but I would never consider myself an authority to tell you how you should be feeling or when you will feel a certain way. Right. Like, so it's just really important to let people have their own experience and no, exactly. I, I think everyone, everyone experiences things differently. And another thing, I don't know if you've encountered this, but I feel like I have friends who talk to me about uh, grief they've had, whether it's the passing of their mom or their grandparents or a friend and, and they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, my, you know, my grief is nothing compared to yours. I just PSA to everyone, don't measure your grief. Like that's your grief. If I say, if I had Scarlett and all my kids and my mom passed away, I would be a miserable wreck. Mm-hmm. Your mom, or it's your like it's you know it's it's your grief. Don't don't measure it up. Don't even for child loss too. I've had moms talk to me and they're like, oh, you know, I I only suffered a miscarriage, so I can't imagine your suffering. No, that's still a loss. Your suffering is still profound and it's still great. Like don't ever compare. Don't compare your grief with anyone. Mm-hmm. Because a loss is a loss, and I, I know a child loss is a great, profound loss, but people are in different stages in life and they're having different losses of different kinds. But I just feel like no one should ever compare. Yeah, no one should ever compare. But at the, at, I mean, I would argue at the same time to not try to equate it either. Like, I mean, I, I would just like not, not offer any kind of parallel at all because. To, if someone yeah. came to me after my kids passed away and said, well, you know, I had a miscarriage. I know what you're going through. I'd be like, no, you don't like, and I've had a couple of miscarriages, but like, but on the same, but on the flip side, it's still a loss and you still deserve to have that grief and deserve to have those feelings. It's just, I, it's not something I can kind of like round up together with my own. So, no, I mean, at the end of the day, like it, it, it's, you know, I feel like people, people shouldn't compare their own griefs. But I know that like, you know, when I, I feel like if, if you're suffering a, mis- a miscarriage and then suffering a loss of a baby that's right in front of you, they're both hard in different aspects. Yeah. That's how it's, 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 a, it's a different level of grief for both and how you process it is how you process it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't, and, and two, your histories are different, right? Like, so that one loss, like. I don't know, maybe that's a miscarriage, but maybe you've had years of infertility. Maybe this is your seventh, you know, or what you've seen or what you've experienced. They're all individual and all valuable, but they're also not like, they're also not similar really to anybody else. You have to kind of just do it on your own. So, so yeah, you mentioned, you know, birthdays and Christmas and things. So how do you, how do you keep Scarlett kind of a part of your life and in and in your family's life do you do you celebrate her birthday do you do anything special for her at Christmas or anything like that yeah so yes for her birthday every year we celebrate unfortunately with COVID last year this year our group was a little bit smaller but everyone can obviously understand but for the past eight years we actually let go of sky lanterns over we went down to lakeshore because i'm i'm a little terrified that one of these are gonna go onto a house or on a tree so i've got an open body of water so we would go down to lakeshore in uh burlington and sometimes there would be just other people there in the park and 
uh, they would be enjoying the view of these beautiful sky lanterns because a ton of us would go there and we would have like maybe 20 sky lanterns or more up in the sky. Yeah. And, uh, we did that every year. I would bring like um, coffee and treats and that would be our moment to celebrate Scarlet. But unfortunately, laws of Skylanders have changed and became more strict. So yeah. here I decided to do a balloon release instead. And so in our backyard, we had our family and I had balloons and we all released them. And we also had a lunch as well. So if she was here, I mean, I would have had like ridiculous birthday parties for her that I do for my children I make these all elaborate parties for them so I mean why not have something like this so we had a a beautiful lunch in honor of Scarlett and we had the balloon release and I do go and visit her um, at her grave although I believe that you know she's not she's moved on from that but it is you know it is her uh, place of rest so I do do that and I leave flowers for her and balloons there and decorate her grave we have like all these little knickknacks and stuff around there for her and yeah that, that's kind of what we do for her birthday and I'm happy that we've now been doing something every year because I was scared that something like this would kind of fizzle off as well so for Christmas I have an ornament on the tree with her name on it and I just, you know, take a moment personally and I capture the moment and I think in my head how it would be with her. I try to envision what she would look like, although it's a little bit hard because she is nine now. So I can't believe I would have a nine-year-old. Um, I already have Autumn who's turning seven and she's full of sass. So I wonder <laughs> how Scarlett would be. I could imagine the same. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I, I try to include her as best as I can, even if I just have to personally take a moment and, and just kind of chat with her and say, hey, Merry Christmas. And I hope you're having the most spectacular time wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Even for her anniversaries, like a death anniversary, like I light a candle for her and we go visit her gravesite as well. And I have some family and friends who also like a candle for her throughout the day as well. So that's something that we do to commemorate her and remember her every year in uh, in those times. Yeah. And her, the day of her passing, I think you said it was October 17th or is that was at her? 16th. 16th. So yeah. yeah, October 15th is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day too. Yeah. So that's really close by. So there's probably some things going on that you could. You exactly. Yeah. No, I, I do um, put her name in like the list of unfortunate names that are there. Um, and there's sometimes there's like walks and stuff in Toronto that happen and we've attended those and the CN tower lights up blue and pink on those dates, uh-huh. which is, it's really nice. I would love for there to be more things um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, done here. Cause I feel like in the States, there's a lot more options for that day, but um, you know, we can work on that. So, yeah, it is it is a little difficult because it is hard because it's it's that date and then it's the anniversary of her death. So those two days are a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the Burlington Pier does light up blue and pink as well. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because I've spoken to the mayor about that before. So <laughs> that, that, that does happen. Just an FYI. Okay. In case anybody's listening and wants to go for a walk on October 15th, the pier should it's be lit beautiful up. There. It's beautiful there. So. Yeah, the pier should be lit up blue and pink. 
Okay. So you kind of, you kind of alluded to this too, but when you, when you think about Scarlet today, like it's, it's like nine years later, what, what do you think about what, what comes to mind? I think about her being, you know, a big sister and having this responsible role of um, kind of mentoring her little sisters and her little brother. I think about how much help she would have been. <laughs> um, you know what I needed that extra diaper. <laughs> um, I think about that. I think she would have been amazing with her uh, sisters and her brothers. I try to envision kind of what she would look like. She had nice, beautiful, dark brown hair and it was thick and it looked like it was going to go into a nice curl. So I imagine her having maybe some long, brown, beautiful, maybe wavy or curly hair. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like she would have been an old soul. I feel like she would have taken after more of her father than me. I feel like maybe she would have been really into books and reading I think that she would have been and is incredible. And it's such a huge loss, not, you know, to know that I will really, truly never know. It's, there's so much more to the eye than what people can see when you lose a child, because you lose all the years of, of them growing up and turning into an amazing preteen teenager and adult. So all that, right. And all the other celebration that could come with that so yeah it's hard it's hard to you know reflect on that but you know sometimes I I do fantasize of you know what it what it would have been like and her like our our children are very aware of her and they know that she existed and especially my eldest she has a picture of her in her room Sometimes she brings a picture of her to school and she talks about her and I support her voice about her sister. And I think it's amazing that she's so in touch with her sister and so aware of her sister. And I, and it's horrible because she grieves for her too and she's never met her. And I feel horrible for her that she grieves for her big sister. And, but she, you know, she, I know that she loves her very much and my youngest daughter, Abby, she, we have a, a pattern of uh, what our children are called. So Autumn's our rainbow baby and Abby Gail is our savage baby. <laughs> and then Francisco is our certified lover boy because all he does is blow kisses. <laughs> They're all cut from a different cloth. So, <laughs> and then we have Autumn who's our beautiful angel baby. So so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, uh, you know, it's been a whirlwind of uh, different emotions and different roller coasters for all of us. And I, I know that, you know, there will be a come, uh, there will be a time where I have to now explain to Abby and then to Francisco as well. And it's kind of like a bittersweet thing having to do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's nice. It sounds like, it sounds like at least Autumn has an appropriate understanding for, you know, a seven-year-old and sad but at least she she has that right she has the ability to talk about her and doesn't feel like she needs to shut that down either no exactly I I would I would never um make her feel like she should have to so she's had you know she's had some moments I think in school as well where she's been emotional maybe I think this was when Abby was a little baby that Autumn was emotional when people would talk about their older siblings and 
she has amazing teachers who have um, helped her and guided her um, with support. And I'll, I'll always support every one of my children um, with their feelings towards their sister. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what would you, if, so what, what do you want to leave the audience with today? Like any words of encouragement or anything? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, throughout this podcast, I'm sure that you've, you know, heard me become emotional and it's been nine years and, you know, you're allowed to be, you're allowed to be emotional nine, five, 50 years. It's a great, great loss. And I think the, the first year obviously is the hardest. And then as time moves on, you learn to live with your new normal and that's how it's going to be. And you learn to accept it and having, you know, you chat about your baby or be emotional about your baby doesn't make you weak and it doesn't make you feel like, you know, why am I still in this rut? You're not in a rut. I think that grief, it, you know, it comes in waves. It's a roller coaster for a full year. You can feel great and not cry about it once. And then you can have some occurrences where you don't, you know, you're not feeling too hot and that's okay. And that's me nine years later, you know, I, after Scarlett passed away, I went in a very deep, deep depression and I got out of it. Am I still emotional about it today? Yes. Does it happen frequently? No, but you can live on after a loss this profound it does happen and you can have another baby or you decide not to, and that's okay too. So I think, you know, people can take away that there's still life after death and just keep moving forward and keep your baby's memory alive as best as you can. And however you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no right or wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I don't know, do you have a Instagram or social media that you want people to follow or where can anybody find you if they wanted to connect and hear more about Scarlett or, uh, so yeah, I, I have two Instagrams. I actually, um, <laughs> I know I have it. I know what your Instagram is. I just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So, I mean, my main Instagram is, is private. I do have a lot of um, pictures of my kids, but I mean, if you want to send me a message and connect and say, Hey, I've heard you on the podcast, podcast, I, I mean, I can definitely add you on that way. So my main profile is, it's a little bit long because it's my children's middle name. So it's everdean.ava.grace.mateo. And I also make charcuterie on the side. So I have a Bouvet charcuterie account and that's open. And I would be happy to connect with you on there as well and chat about our beautiful babies and the love of cheese and yummy. <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> great. So we'll include all of those on the show notes. Um, oh, do you have any, um, before we just run out, I just remembered, um, do you have any resources or books or anything that you, sh that you recommend or use yourself or maybe share with your kids to sort of navigate all of it? Um, so I'm going to be honest with you. I did buy some books and I never read them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, after, after I had that grieving process, uh, for some reason for me, I could not connect to any book. I don't know why. Yeah. And 
there are some great resources out there. I know that, but for me, I couldn't shut my mind. So I couldn't go there. And at this point right now, I have not read anything. Okay. So I would say the pale network is what helped me the most. Yeah. Because real life interactions with people who were going through the same situations mm -hmm. as me. Um, I feel like if you can connect with someone who truly understands this type of loss, connect with that person. Because no matter what thoughts you have, which may seem crazy to you initially and to someone who hasn't experienced this, will not seem crazy to someone who's experienced the loss of a baby or child. Yeah. So I, the biggest thing is to connect with someone that's had a similar experience to you. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, well, thanks, Janice. This was awesome. I'm so glad we got to connect. I loved hearing about Scarlett. Thank, uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and we'll we'll um, we'll share all the the information that you mentioned on the show notes page as well, so people have clickable links that they can that you can reach to. Sounds good. Thank awesome. you. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for tuning in to From Heaven and Hope. If you found today's episode comforting, encouraging, and enlightening. I encourage you to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Please take care and know that you're never alone in this journey.